Hey everyone, it's Alex here, and I just want to give a quick little update before the podcast began this week. Uh, obviously, uh, if you've been following anything around the NHL, and obviously the title of this podcast as well, you know what our main focus will be on for the first half of this podcast this week, um, and that is the Chicago Blackhawks investigation. Um, Chase and I recorded on Thursday night like we usually do, and we knew there wasn't all the details out Um but there was no better time for us to record. Uh, since we've done recording, literally in under 24 hours, as I am recording this uh, at about 12:30 or so on Friday, uh, we have more news that has come out. Um, firstly, it looks that Chevaldeov will not be fired or released, forced to resign, such as Joel Quenville was last night. Um, so that is a massive piece of news. Uh, we will get into it next week uh, on our podcast then. I won't touch too much on it other than uh, from my personal opinion. I'm not speaking for Chase, uh, but my personal opinion is that's extremely disappointing from the league. But uh, we'll get into that more next week. The other thing I want to touch on quick um, is obviously a Morgan Riley extension just broke. We won't get in it. We'll get into that next week, too. I'm not going to break that down too much here. But um, the one other thing we mentioned in this podcast, and it still holds true because uh, I think the weight is still there, but uh, we definitely criticized some uh, bigger media members for really staying actively, really staying silent during this investigation over the past couple months and over the past year since the uh, alleged uh, sexual assault allegations came out. Um, and one of the people we named even specifically was Elliot Friedman. Um, and I just want to make a note quickly that Friedman... Uh, did post a 32 Thoughts podcast today uh, with Jeff, uh, without Jeff Merrick, sorry, and it was a basically a six-minute uh, podcast where he apologized and uh, owned up to, you know, not doing enough for this story. So, um, you know, I don't think it really changes what we said. I think it's still valid, but uh, I did want to point out that it's not like he still stayed silent. There was an apology, and I think that should uh, definitely hold some weight as well. So um, the last thing I want to bring up before we go is this uh Definitely has a lot more swearing. Um, this is a heavy subject and uh, a frustrating subject as well that uh, it even got to this point. So there's definitely a lot more swearing in this episode um, than normal. So I uh, just wanted to give a heads up for that anyways. Um, thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, today, we got to start off with the big news, uh, the news of the week, uh, hockey story of the year, really. Uh, it's important stuff to talk about, um, and obviously that is the Chicago Blackhawks investigation and scandal uh, that the report came out uh, yesterday. We're recording this Thursday night. Uh, it has just been ruled. Uh, we were just getting reports that uh, Joel Quenville Looks like he will be on his way out of Florida, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, obviously, if uh, you know you haven't heard of this somehow, which uh, I'd find it hard to believe if you're listening to a hockey podcast, you haven't, but you never know. Um, obviously, it was named uh, the, the in the Chicago Blackhawks sexual assault investigation from 2010 with Brad Aldrich. Uh, Kyle Beach came out yesterday and... Uh, uh, identified him as John Doe as the person who was obviously uh, assaulted. Um, it's I, I I've been thinking about what to say all day. It's uh, it's just a shitty story, but uh, you know you hope that this is at least a good ending for him or a better ending. Um, you know he's come out and he's already talked quite a bit about how for years uh, he was told he was lying, he was making it up. So. Um, yesterday was obviously a gratifying day for him um, and a good step forward. Uh, I, I think everyone in the hockey world was probably surprised about how much the uh, internal investigation came out. Uh, it ended with Stan Bowman and other hockey ops in Chicago losing their job. Uh, Stan Bowman was allowed to uh, um, stand down, but I believe a couple other guys got let go. I just, uh, it's... I don't even know what to say, Chase. Like, it's just one of those things that it's so hard to talk about. But, um, you know, obviously it's important that, you know, you, we need to talk about it. And there's just, there's obviously no place at all in hockey, but in the world for this. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, it's just such a shitty scenario that, 
like it's almost like there's nothing original to say about it because it's just like objectively horrible there's no like if ands or maybe or like devil's advocate or whatever it's just an absolutely tragic story with like so many like in every wrinkle you read it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse yeah from you know and the obviously the act itself was absolutely horrible and what makes it even worse is that so many people covered it up and it led to him assaulting more people you know the, the yeah. report itself said they led to him doing it to another intern before he was let go in the summer and then obviously yeah. the way this came out was because he was uh investigated for multiple charges including a teenager when he was working with youth hockey which is yeah. just just despicable you know which the Chicago Blackhawks wrote him a recommendation letter for. Yeah. And yeah. They, I think it was a college team. And then he went down even a year like lower. It's just absolutely disgusting. And the amount of covering up that went on is just uh, unacceptable from, from everyone in the organization. Um, and it's just like, it's so gross too. like going through the quotes of like, the reason they didn't want to bring it up is because they were on a Stanley cup run and they didn't want that to bug anything. The idea that anyone should be above a Stanley cup run, let alone your goddamn video coach. Like this could be the GM and it still wouldn't be okay. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. The owner, Jonathan Taze, whoever. Yeah. But the fact that it's the dude who just cuts up clips for your video training sessions. are, Are you serious? Like, just nothing about it is redeemable in any way. No. And, like, it's just one of those things where um, even the quotes that have come out recently about it are brutal. Um, Well, the Taze and Kane stuff were just fucking horrible. And so if people miss that... Taves on Bowman and McIsaac. McIsaac was the other op who got fired. Stan and Al, they're not directly complicit in the activities that happened. It's not up to me to comment on whether they would like to deal with it differently or not. I have a lot of respect for them as people. They're good people. Like. After an entire report come out, came out literally outlining how they are directly complicit. Yes. And like. <sighs> just disgusting like Like there are a lot of people at fault here and stan bowman and uh what's the president's name mcisaac yeah mcisaac are absolutely two of them yes like big big parts of this and like part of me is just shocked that like a how can you not read the room yeah b like I, i know we say we want to hear athletes opinion and personality more how the fuck did a PR person not come out and be like, "Hey, you what cannot, like, you cannot compliment them." Yeah, you don't need to throw them under the bus. Like, I, I wasn't expecting to come out and be like, "Yeah, f- fuck those guys" or anything like that. But like, you can't say they're good. Like, you just—it's not something you say. It's exactly. not the time or like- place. Because, like, there is something to be said about whenever stuff like this happens. Like, the guys like uh, Stan Bowman being a formative part of a lot of people's lives. And Stan Bowman was presumably not, was presumably good to a lot of these people and how that would affect you. But, like, now is just absolutely not the time to be really saying anything positive about them at all. Exactly. Um, And St. Patrick Kane. Uh, he calls Bowman and McIsaac uh, out, outing uh, necessary moves and the right moves to make. But then he also went to follow and call Bowman a great man who did a lot of great things for me personally. Like, yeah, absolutely it, not the case. Even no. though, like, I'm sure it would be not for Kane and Taze because they were there. I'm thinking of like the Debrinkets of the world who like had people in this organization be important parts of important years of their lives and then find this out. Like, that's got to be really detrimental to just your mental health and your state of being, but like, yeah, he did great things for me. It's just absolutely the fuck not what you should be saying right now. Yeah. Even if it's true for your personal career, you know, you just, yeah. it's just not like, just read the room. It's not that hard. It's just not necessary right now. No. Like, and yeah, it's like, we've, we've brought this up before too. And 
be like, oh, well, he did these good things for me. It's like, well, like Adolf Hitler didn't run around all day punting puppies. Like, yeah, someone, like a bad person can have done good things and that's fine. But like now is just, yeah, it's just incredibly tone deaf. And these guys are apparently two of the best leaders in the hockey world. Yeah. And like the, uh, like Duncan Keith's been under fire. I don't know if you saw the disgusting stuff in Sportsnet as well. About from, how he would have done something. Yeah. How he would have done. So it was like, it was Gene Principe and Mark Spector just praising him basically, yeah. uh, which the video has now been taken down. Uh, I wouldn't expect anything less from those two, but uh, it's just, yeah. And well, the you know, worst stuff, like when you see like that, because even like Ken Campbell's had some all timer stupid takes, but like it's so, but like he's great. Uh, he's been great throughout this whole process. He's called uh, a lot of the reporters out for not talking about it multiple times because it's so easy to end up on the right side of history on this one. Literally. And, and like, so then that's the other thing I want to get into quick before we get into how this affects, you know, obviously, and, and what the, there's still long ways that this is going to unfold. Um, but uh, the other thing is, I feel like it needs to be said that especially Sportsnet did nothing to cover this story until they absolutely had to. Until they had to, yeah. Like, absolutely nothing. They didn't say anyone to investigate it. They didn't even try to report on it. They did the very bare minimum until they absolutely had to. And none of their insiders would talk about it. And and I think that's, it's the same with a lot of like the athletic, same thing, TSN, same thing. Now, obviously TSN had um, uh, uh, Rick Westhead who did the bulk of the reporting and broke this story. Uh, yep. And Katie Strang works for the athletic and she does, a, she's done a, good, a lot of great work with this too. And I feel like those two absolutely need to be commended because they are two of the people that really pushed this forward and weren't afraid to actually dig in. And, and do this investigation um, and, and kind of journalism. And I know Rick West had, had given a shout out on, because he's part of TSN saying his bosses are the ones that let him do this kind of journalism, which does need to be said, but I, I do think it's very, very telling how many massive personalities absolutely avoided this at all possible cases until they had to. Yeah, exactly. Got to protect your sources. Yeah. And I don't mean like, like I'm not expecting any of these guys to be talking about it for the past four months. Cause Obviously, we haven't. There's sometimes you just have to let the process go, let that investigation happen. But like, even yeah, when there's it, value in specialization too. Like Rick Rest had digging in on this, like rather than yeah, um, Elliot Friedman spending like one hour a week randomly digging in. What he could be doing is just bringing it to light in his massive 31 Thoughts column or whatever, it, instead of exactly. You know, and he didn't six do hours a week on it. Anything like that at all? Like nothing. So yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's, um, I don't know if you want to look at that as a shame on the other people, but definitely, um, uh, I think uh, congratulations is not the right word, but uh, a good job to Rick West setting and Katie Strang as well for, you know, actually putting in the time here and, um, as well to Kyle's former, former teammates as well. Um, so, yeah, like the of, of the world who yeah, spoke, actually and, spoke out. And I apologize because I can't remember the other person in the report who actually spoke out. There was two of them though. That and and it, it really feels like their word went a long way here into actually convincing other people to talk and, uh, um, you know, uh, just breaking you know breaking the story and um, backing up what Kyle's been saying apparently for all these years, right? So oh yeah, and you, you have know. to assume something like this doesn't get as far as it did if it's not for at least some people like the Brett Sopels of the world. Uh, cooperating because you would need someone who was on the inside and saw it happen. You probably exactly. need multiple people actually. I've never investigated anything, but I assume you need a pretty decent chunk of sources. Yeah, you need multiple witnesses, right? And um, you know that was the leading quote from you know Kyle Beach yesterday was it was no longer my word against everybody else's. Um, yeah, which which you know, probably feels great. Yes, exactly. Um, so it's just such an unfortunate situation, a gross situation, a gross handling of it by management. And I think, you know, as we get into what else is going to happen here, I really do think the players need to take more blame here for this too. Um, yep. There was in the report, it said in following years, people made fun of it saying, do you miss your boyfriend, Brad? And like just gross stuff like that. 
so the idea that none of them would have ever known, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of tough to prove or whatever, but at the same time, like, I know I myself have lost a ton of respect for Jonathan Taves. I didn't have much respect for Patrick Kane to begin with, but what little respect there might've been there, it's gone as well. Oh, absolutely. Cause like a lot of people really jump to players defenses and scenarios like this when we're not 150% certain that they knew, but like we're human beings uh, we're allowed to make like probabilistic estimates and use them to judge accordingly. Like I'm as close to certain as you can be without being certain that like Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane did know at which point, like what the fuck? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then again, no. like, like I was thinking about this today because they were like 20 and 21 when it happened. Um, like, I don't know what I would roughly our age. I don't, know exactly what i do but my god i would like to imagine it was better than what they did yeah and it's like it is a shitty thing to deal with but nothing is just objectively the worst thing you possibly could have done exactly and um you know yes they were young but how many times did people absolutely just fall in love over the fact that taves was so mature for how young he was yeah exactly yeah, at the very least, it shows he isn't half the leader that um, he's been made out to be. Yeah, and I don't like it. Just you know, I it seems you know I I don't know if you got to watch the video. It was a twenty five minute interview and uh, on TSN, and uh, I got to watch a decent amount, and it was it was tough to watch. Uh, but you know, the good news is Kyle Beach has clearly he looks like a, he's in a bit better of a place now, but also this seems to be, and I imagine it would be a massive weight off his shoulders, which, you know, out of just an absolutely horrible situation, at least that little bit of good can come from it. Exactly. And hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully he's happy with uh, the outcome at least obviously not that it happened and that's, that's awful, but you know, like a relatively positive outcome, it seems like, because I really thought this was going to get slept under the rug. Literally, I, and obviously the league, there's still a lot more to do. There's going to be settlements that need to be made. But um, yeah, when they came out with that amount of detail already yesterday, that was like literally eight more times than I would have ever expected. Oh yeah, because like, if there was a way to bet on this, I would have bet a decent chunk of money that, little to nothing was going to come out of this. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunate it is. that's just how these leagues work. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I think the other important thing to say is I hope it, 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 if this even changes one situation going forward, it's an, it's a success that this story came out. Yeah. You know, yeah. if it, if it promotes even one kid in say minor hockey, if something, God forbid, but this shit happens, unfortunately, if it even affects like one kid to, to want to stand up and say something like it's a, it's a success. Yeah, exactly. Or just like a couple people feel uh, marginally less like alone or something. Cause they know this has happened to somebody like uh, an 11th overall pick in the NHL or just anything like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, the other aspect of this, obviously Joel Quenville uh, was the coach at the time and who boy. So it sounds like he's gone and rightfully so. Uh, he does not deserve another job in the okay. NHL ever. Ever, like ever. I I don't really care. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Uh, he basically was approached with it, uh, and I, it's just hard. I, I I keep there's so many bad just parts about this. I feel like we need to talk about Stan Bowman too quick. But uh, Quenville got approached and basically said, "I don't want to deal with this. This is a distraction. Come playoff time, uh, don't give the like, don't uh, bring this up to me." brutal how not to handle that 101 literally like talk about just uh, like isolating a player and and you know like just pathetic yeah and similar similar to the quenbo quote like the tase and gain stuff where it's like we just wanted to focus on hockey like how much do you think kyle beach wanted to just focus on hockey at that point yeah no kidding like things are above hockey and this is absolutely one of them um, yeah. So it's sounding more and more likely that Quinville's out. 
what is even more disgusting by the league and the Florida Panthers is that he was fucking allowed to coach last night. That was insane. Absolutely like crazy. An hour after that interview aired. Yeah. And like, Maybe not even. Oh my God. Like the fact that he wasn't on the suspended list right away. Yeah. It's just insane. Like if this happened within the statute of limitations, like Quinville could be in worried about going to jail. Literally right? criminal stuff we're talking about covering yeah. this up. Like, yeah. yeah, obviously they won't because yeah, it's been too much time has passed and, and everything. But like, yeah, like this is like literally criminal. Like covering this up is criminal activity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's It'd be obstruction of justice, right? Yeah. And like, it's just... Oh I, man, I, it's just so gross, and um, it sounds like John Tortorella is the leading uh, candidate to um, be the Panthers head coach. Which uh, I, I feel like I, I don't want even want to talk about that this week. Uh, a, we can wait till it's official, but B, I, I think that's more of an X's and O's thing to get into next week, anyways. Yeah. Um, what I will say is, uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the John Tortorella clips online, but as an analyst with uh, ESPN, um, I actually haven't minded his work. And today he had a really good um, part on the ESPN's The Point uh, about what happened in Chicago. And um, part of it was just like, I can't believe one person didn't think they would stand, the kid stand up. And then his other quote was, if that was your 21-year-old son, would you do things differently? Yeah, um, exactly. That's the worst part is like so many fucking people had to be complicit in this. Yeah. Like and and it being in 2010 is not an excuse. This did not happen yeah. in the 1950s. Yeah, exactly. And also just like, like um at any point, like people knew rape was bad. Yeah. Like, of all the things that have come, a lot of, like, social issues have come a long way very quickly. So saying something without the date can be a lack of context, depending on what issue you're talking about and the time horizon. Still doesn't excuse it, but, like, it still can be a lack of context. Uh, rape was not one of those things. No. Like sexual assault, people people knew was bad in, in 2010. Yeah, absolutely. Um and so it looks like Quenville's out and, you know, none of these people should have a job in hockey ever again. Sheffield uh, is going to be the next one. He has a meeting with Batman tomorrow. Yeah. I have to imagine same outcome as uh, Quenville, right? Can't see it any other way and it shouldn't be any other way. Yeah. Quenville's the uh, coach, obviously Sheffield is the assistant GM. Uh, one name that was not in. So they, the reason that these guys are having a meeting is because they were directly reported. There was multiple sources that confirmed uh, they had a meeting with um, um, Bowman and uh, whatever his name is that also got fired. Uh, oh, the, the VP. I apologize. Also, it was uh, Nick Boynton was the other uh, person who actually spoke out about... Ah, yeah. um, uh, what has happened in, in, in favor of Kyle. So uh, that's just, he deserves credit for that as well. Um, yes. Sorry. So there was obviously, I mean, it was Shevel day of uh, Glenville was a part of it as well. Uh, Stan Bowman. And uh, um, I'm literally trying to look, look up his name, but um, the other guy who got fired, obviously who was the president at the time. Um, it's just, the, there's still other people that have worked in though, like um, Mark Bergevan was a name that people were going to wonder, but he doesn't sound like he was actually um, a part of like uh, the, like he was a scout at the time, I believe. Um, so he wasn't a part of this meeting. Uh, that doesn't mean he didn't know about it. And I don't think people should naturally assume there's no way he could have known about it, but um, obviously there's no evidence to point that he was literally in a meeting room talking about how to handle this. Yeah, with, yeah, it still with, seems more likely than not that he knew, but yes, but that if anyone's wondering what the difference between Shovel Day Off and Quenville is right now, uh, versus that, that that's why, yeah. Um, so we'll see. I, I like, yeah, I, I can't imagine McIsaac is the name, uh, Bowman and McIsaac. I apologize. Um, We'll see where it goes. I think Shovel Day has got to be fired. I just don't see how you can go forward with him. 
Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on quick just out of this was how pathetic even Stan Bowman's comments were. Uh, yeah, he seemed to try to pin it on uh, on the guy above him. Yeah, he literally just said, like, I passed it on to my uh, superior and just assumed he would handle it, uh, and he did it. Yeah, as if you're not Stan fucking Bowman with like yeah. more power than all more power and clout, especially during the peak Chicago Blackhawks than almost anyone in the entire hockey world. Yeah. So uh, it's just it's such a gross, unfortunate situation. But, yep. um, and this is only the beginning. Uh, you know, if there's going to be a Blackhawks have already said they want to handle this with a settlement, they'd rather not a lawsuit. But, um, you know, I mean, you talked about this privately, and this is not something that I think even Kyle Beach is worried about right now. It's more about justice. But, if he wants, he could probably sue them for quite a bit of money. Um, I know this isn't a legal podcast, but if you just think of what the average 11th overall pick in the NHL uh, makes in a lifetime, it is in the millions and millions and millions of dollars, which was yeah. taken away from him because he never got the chance. He's the only 11th overall pick ever in NHL history not have one game played. Yeah, Micah tweeted that out today, and that is insane. Yeah, like, and so, like, that's... um because um, I don't know what the median uh, like worth over the hockey career of an 11th overall pick is. I assume it would be like the rookie con, a decent rookie contract plus, I don't know, maybe like a four or five year deal on average. Uh, like yeah, small like that. amount of money, but boom, you're into like $10 million. $15 million, Fair. yeah, like generational wealth already. Yeah, because you're, you're at probably – one to two million a year just off that rookie contract you're at six million dollars yeah um, and then it's pretty easy a small next contract you're at ten million dollars done exactly and yeah so um it'll be interesting to see where it goes uh, uh there's it's uh, this is only the beginning i think you know there's going to be more that's coming out and obviously um i wouldn't even be surprised if we find out more people are implicated or anything like that but yeah, that requested um, uh, interview on the STP tomorrow is going to be must listen. I think mm-hmm. a really long form Rick Westhead interview is going to be uh, pretty big. Yeah, and he was on Overdrive as well yesterday after he was on Sports Center, and thought that was a pretty good interview, just giving his honest thoughts on you know how everything went down and why the league has uh, really been brutal. Not brutal, but you know obviously the Hawks organization has been brutal with everything. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's. It's not something I know, you know, Chase and I talked about this at length. Um, we try and use hockey as an escape and this podcast is escape, but um, I think you even kind of mentioned it. Like it's a, such an important story. Like I'm sure Kyle beach wanted to use hockey as an escape and yeah. couldn't literally physically could not do that. You know, he presumably loved the sport. Absolutely. Right. And he's still, he's still playing to this day over in Germany. Yeah, he's playing in Europe, right? Yeah, Germany. yeah. So um, yeah, he must if he's been through all this shit and he's still playing like pro hockey. Exactly. Absolutely love it. You know, so that's why it's a, it's one of those things where you know, it's we don't like uh, you know I we definitely try and keep the mood pretty light on this podcast. I would say, um, and there's even some stuff where we just you know we don't always talk about uh, super serious stuff, but uh, you know this is one that it just it falls in line of. Um, a list of things you absolutely have to talk about when it comes up and, and it's important to discuss it and, and why it's important. So it doesn't happen again, going forward. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I don't have too much more to say on the situation as it is right now. I don't know about you. Yeah, me there's just horrible situation. I hope Kyle beach gets whatever, uh, whatever it is that he wanted out of this. Yep. And, you know, I feel like this goes without saying from us, but, you know, I should say it anyways, that uh, uh, the amount of courage it took for him to actually come out and, you know, identify himself, even if there, you know, people thought it might be him, might not be him, the amount of courage to come out, stand up, uh, even after all these years and, you know, just speak openly about it. uh, You know, it's just unbelievable Um, and, you know, great on him. Yeah, absolutely. So, um there's no good way to transition a podcast after a topic like that. Uh, let's talk some hockey. Um, 
you know, not too much is going on. Obviously, this this dominated the news cycle this week and very fairly so. Yep. Um, we have uh, one signing to talk about, and then we can talk about some trends. And one of the trends, unfortunately, is going to be when with the coach that just got fired because his team was off to a very hot start. Um, let's talk about the signing, though. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights signed defenseman Zach Whitecloud uh, to a six-year deal with a $2.75 million cap hit. You very rarely see this long of a deal for this small of a cap hit. Uh, quite an interesting one, honestly. Um, love to get your take on this. What is your opinion on the deal? Uh, do you like it, not like it? Um, just give me every, Give me your first thoughts when you saw it. This deal, like, if you look at his – so a lot of people think, like, oh, this, these analyses are really easy once you have, like, a war model or whatever. And if you look at his, like, war per dollar, assuming this contract, you'll probably come out thinking this contract's pretty reasonable. But this contract scares the hell out of me. This is a huge – well, not a huge bet, but this is a team up against the cap. So every bet's a huge bet. That's a multi-year deal over variable. A pretty big bet on a player who's only been good uh, at shot suppression while playing down the lineup in a small sample against weak competition. Yeah, it's... That's a pretty big red flag to me. He doesn't even... He hasn't even played a full 82 games yet in the NHL. Um, this is yeah. very clearly a gamble on obviously with the term, as you said, we're taking this risk because the upside of him being even a number four making this money, let alone anything above that, is massive for a team that is going to be paying Pacioretty and Stone a combined 19 mil or whatever it is. Yeah. That being said, obviously, yeah, the downside is. There's a non-zero chance in two years you have a non-NHL defenseman on your hand making $2.75 million for like four more seasons. Like what they just gave Travis Dermott a six-year contract. Yeah. Um, That's what this is. Yeah. and Marginally it, worse, maybe. It's kind of funny thinking just like how – I I'm, I'm kind of surprised how, how high people are on Zach Whitecloud as a player. This is literally Travis Dermott, and people freak out probably once every three weeks that Travis Dermott has a multi-year deal of variable, and people are okay with this. People think this is a great contract. He's not young anymore either. Like he kicked, he'll be twenty-five when this kicks in, and he he'll be turning twenty-six in November of yeah. that year. So it'll take him until he's thirty-two. Like it's not like he's a twenty-two-year-old defenseman. Yeah. Um. You know, now I, if you want to look at this positively, I would say that this is a contract you can very easily trade to a team that uh, um, is nowhere near the cap ceiling. Yeah, a shit team for a second and a fourth or something. Seems like you could dump this pretty easily. Yeah, or even if he's a sixth defenseman and it's like just a little more than you can handle, I'm sure just giving him up for basically nothing. Like you could maybe even get a seventh or something. So I do think it's one of these deals where even if it goes backwards, I don't think it should handicap your cap too much. Um, I, I, I would just be shocked if this wasn't moved, unless, unless it goes so backwards like this year, you know, or next year, right, where he's got yeah. five. But if he's got three years left at 2.75 and he's a 28-year-old who has no was known to suppress shots three years ago and he's 210, you know, six foot two, like there's absolutely a GM that will buy themselves into fixing that or whatever. Or that yep. that's what they need, right? Or like a team like Ottawa a couple of years ago, Arizona now maybe, where it's like they're heading into a rebuild. It's like, yeah, we'll take him on. You can give us a sixth or whatever, and he can be our fifth defenseman. Yeah, you give us warm body, we'll pay him because we kind of need to be the cap floor and everything. Yeah, um, so I don't know. I don't hate the deal. Like I, I think I do like the idea of – when you're a cap team, I mean, but it's obviously a dangerous, uh, um, you know, you need to make sure that there's at least a baseline of the player being semi-okay. But I don't hate the idea of if you do, for whatever reason, 
and you know that it, it depends if we agree with it or not. But if let's say Vegas does see the him becoming a good number four, is it that fair? Yep. And you think a good number four is worth four million dollars in this league, three point eight, whatever, right? I don't mind the idea of just trying to wrap him up so you get value out of that long term. Like yeah, I would, I would rather them concept. No. And I would rather them bet with even a 24, 25, 25 year old than a 30 year old. But that being said, the, the nice thing about the 30 year olds is you can just sign them to one, maybe two year deals. Yeah. You know, like, and I don't, I'll probably take some heat for this, but like, like if you had to choose between Zach Whitecloud at six years or like last year, Zach Bogosian for the Leafs at one, Probably Zach Bogosian as is right now. Yeah, like I don't. Because this is literally Travis Dermott signing a six-year, almost three million dollar contract. Like we would, we would have fire Dubas trending. Yeah, like if the equivalent contract got signed. Like and in, I don't even think it's like absolutely insane. Like I said, and like you said, like the concept to take a swing at a huge value deal. I kind of like the risk-seeking aspect of it, but I don't know. Like Zach Whitecloud is not the one player I would be like, this is the guy. Yeah, and I think the other problem is, you know, it kind of relates back to the contracts we've talked about a bunch is um, offense is more repeatable than defense. Yeah, defense in a small sample is not a fun thing to bet on. And the <laughs> and only the thing he's been good at is – and he's been really good at it, to be fair, in a small sample. Yeah. Um, but it's been 70 games where he's been very good at suppression defense, which, again, is better than him not being that. But it's not like he's been – if he was even, like, average helping offensively or something like that, I think this contract would be a lot more justifiable. But he's been very below average offensively. Yeah, exactly. He's been, like, an active liability – and it's not like we have – like, and if, if the other thing, too, if this guy was just, like, massacring uh, the AHL or, like, the OHL and stuff before that, you'd respect the bet even more because then you'd be like, look, the, uh, the upside has been there in the past. We're just going to – you can see the avenue to the offensive upside. This guy's an undrafted free agent that didn't exactly destroy the AHL either. Like, there's literally no reason to think that the offense is going to come. No, he's very clearly a shutdown defenseman. And again, like, there's value in that um, at times, you know, even in your on your third pair. But, yeah, it's just one of those contracts where it's like I feel like any other team or not any other team, but definitely some other team signing this and we'd be absolutely laughing. Um, I don't think it's a horrible contract, but uh, – and, and, you know, I'm – I've become just, I think, you know, so, and we'll, we'll get to another small signing in a second here that I really want to put my point across, but I think as we've kind of got to do this podcast um, and have looked back at just how our takes have evolved over the years. One thing I'm realizing more and more and more is a, obviously no deal is unmovable in the NHL, yep. but especially deals that have a low cap hit they seem to not only be not unmovable teams actively want them, whether the player is good or not. Yeah. Like inexplicably, sometimes you even get stuff for them, even though they're like absolutely negative EV literally. And so I feel like when I see these deals that are over three, four years for under $3 million, unless you're just actively blocking someone better, which in this case, I really don't think white cloud is. No, unless I'm missing something huge in their prospect pool, but I do not think that is the case. No, um, you know, it's a little bit different, obviously, like with a Delzato situation where he's blocking someone better. But I've also just tried to come to learn to, to take a step back and realize if this becomes a disaster for the team, there's a 80% chance they can flip him without even giving up an asset or, or when I say that, maybe it's like a sixth round pick. And obviously you'd rather keep the sixth round pick than give it up if you have to. But at the end of the day, if you really need to move a sixth round pick, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's highly unlikely this deal is a disaster. 
It just seems really unnecessary. Yeah, like I, I again, like if he was two years younger and it kicked in this year, yeah, I think I'd like it just a, a lot more because I think that I'd be like, yeah, there's some room for growth there, and obviously at yeah, seventy two you games on your size more. Yeah, exactly, and like obviously with seventy two games, there is uh, potential to just kind of learn how, how you know guys chip the puck in or play, and you know how to take the guy a little more. Um, you know, and maybe he could grow, but it's just not a bet you should be making, in my opinion. Yeah, this is this is not the guy to randomly go out on a limb for. No, so um, I don't know. I don't absolutely hate the contract, but uh, I definitely didn't think it was quite the slam dunk that I saw people online talking about. It's certainly an interesting concept slash bet to make. Yeah, yeah, love the concept. Don't love who it was applied to. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. Um, the other contract, and this is the one I was kind of alluding to, because this was an OG podcast meme from uh, anyone who is still listening from four years ago or three years ago when we started. It would have been, I guess, four years ago because he's or three and a half years ago because he's in the fourth year's contract. Ross Johnston signs another four year contract. Uh, uh, this was literally probably one of the first podcasts recorded. Uh, no, maybe not first, but like in the t- first 10 for sure, because I remember me screaming about how Lou was handling the cap back in 2018 because he signed Ross Johnson to a four-year deal at $1 million. And I, I still Ross don't think Johnson it's married smart. to Lou's like, granddaughter. Or <laughs> yeah, something? I, yeah, I have no idea. And he got a raise on this one. It's four by 1.1, which, again, I still don't think is smart at the end of the world. But the difference between me now and me three and a half years ago is I'm not going to yell and scream about this. I'm going to go, okay, I probably don't really agree with that. I don't know who you were bidding against for this, but this is not going to end your world because even if you bury it, it's like 200K on the cap. Yeah, the downside is almost meaningless, even though it's objectively stupid. Yeah, it's just a weird decision to make, you know? Yeah, also super unnecessary. Yeah, like... Like, who is bidding against you to sign this contract? This is apparently the, like, most stoic and best negotiator in the history of the world. Who was negotiating against you to sign this deal? For the second time in a row with this dude. Yeah. Like, it's not like he broke out after his last four-year contract. He had six points in 24 games, four and 17, four and 32, one in 12. Yeah, I love how little that Lou is this godly negotiator narrative just holds up to any scrutiny. Oh, yeah. Not like, that he's bad at it, but, like, it's not like he's some unicorn here either. No, it's, it is clear that he draws a line and some people just don't care to press it. But, like, it only goes one way. Like, I, I think when he wants to hold firm, he can. But then he also just has weird decisions where it's like, like I, I think it is true with, like, the high, high-end range, sometimes he's not going to budge. Especially as much like Barzell making seven is a good deal. But then like he will go and take those savings and just give some third liner an over, like give Pajot, and I love Pajot, but Pajot does not deserve $5 million for six years. No, or like the the new Zizekas contract. Or Paul Mary. Second contract, yeah. Like, yeah, it just... uh it really doesn't make much sense to me, but I don't know. I wasn't even going to bring it up, but I just thought it fit pretty well with the white cloud discussion because, you know, I remember when he signed, I literally laughed. That was another four-year deal because I was like, this is one of the first, like one of the things that still sticks out for me a couple of years ago and definitely overreacted to it at the time, but still like, I, I don't, I still to this day don't, wouldn't call it a smart move. And I wouldn't call this new signing smart either. Oh yeah. I think it's objectively dumb, but like, yeah. What how how mad can you really get at 1.1 mil? Exactly. So um that's all for news, I think, this week. Uh we have a little bit of time. That's probably gonna be a shorter episode again as well. As um we're just kind of getting in. It's kind of um it's it's a good time for watching hockey, but it's not like there's a ton to analyze right now. Cause like no, nothing that happens really means anything yeah because like right, like it the, does dm me and i would love to bet against you this season pardon uh, and people who think like five five game samples oh. particularly mean something DM yeah me. we'll start well, making bets against each other this season the red wings and sabers are two and three in the division right now yeah like that should tell you all you need to know yeah we don't even have to talk about toronto the avalanche are third <laughs> last in their division 
Yeah, like um, you know, I, I was gonna bring up the Panthers. They're seven and zero. I really don't care to talk about that organization right now. Not at the um, moment. Like credit to their players, I guess, but I, I just I really don't want to give them any credit. And it's not the players' fault either. It's not like yeah. like good for Barkov and them, but still. yeah. But uh, it's something I think we can talk about next week, maybe when they, you know, hire a new coach and, you know, this is the dust has settled at least a little bit on it. Um, uh, but yeah, Toronto is uh, an interesting one as well because they're three, four, and one. They're fourth in the division. Um, you know, it's not a great start for them and they haven't beat very good teams. They've obviously beat Ottawa, uh, Montreal, and Chicago. So three of the worst teams in the league just by a points perspective right now, but also I would say objectively in the bottom half, all three of them. Um, it's crazy how much freak out there is though, in my opinion. Yeah. There's been a, I want like one specific thing that about the Leafs debate that has irritated me to no end thus far is there's a very big difference between saying this has been fine and this will be fine. That's all the difference. Like, cause like there's a lot of people saying we need to blow up the core because we started poorly for seven games. Don't do that. Uh, seven games doesn't mean something like small sample sizes don't become meaningful just because you're angry, but also like watching the effort they put forward in a couple of these games, I'm thinking like the Pittsburgh game was just an embarrassment. And then they follow it up with just a horrific game. Like that's not fine either. It still doesn't mean you should be betting against them to lose a game in March, but like that isn't fine either. That's the thing, right? Is there is valid criticism to be head of this team, but it's so hard to do it because their own fan base takes it so overboard that it feels like any criticism you're actually making isn't valid anymore. Yep. Like, yeah, you should absolutely be pissed off that they lost to an AHL team in Pittsburgh. Well, guess what? That Pittsburgh team is like the top of the, you know, they're three, I should say top, but they're three, one, and two. They've been playing everyone hard all year. They beat the they Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa, they? Yeah. yeah. In game one of the, in game one of the season, they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Like exactly. Because, because shit happens. Hockey's weird. Uh, we all know this. Yeah. We all like and, pretend it's not when we talk about our favorite teams, but. And uh, like you, you can be disappointed absolutely in the team. Like I'm not saying Leaf Band shouldn't be. And then even, yeah. you know, the effort in Carolina, it just wasn't there. That was horrible. Yeah. But and when people try to say like, oh, but they're a good team or whatever. And they're like, no, it's not. It's been four or five years of this. It's like this team is like fifth in the league in goal differential over the last like five regular seasons. Yeah. And then people, always, uh, what, but what about the playoffs? It's like, like, yeah. We're I, not talking about the playoffs <laughs> right now. Yeah. And like, even then, some of the, like, I get the, the past two years have been obviously just the way they collapsed last year was yeah. crazy. Um, and then that Columbus, like they should have murdered that Columbus team. But before that, yeah, you played the Bruins who went to the cup final and took them to seven. Like the only other team that took them as close to you was St. Louis because they dominated their way after the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, they did. And in 2018, you played that same Bruins team, and no one had them favor. Yeah. Like, no one picked Toronto to go to seven games in that 2018 series. Yeah. Like, a lot of it's just. So, it's, it's like, yeah, they've been in the playoffs five years in a row. It's like, okay, but, like, three of them you didn't expect. Two of them you absolutely did not. Like, Washington, no one gave them a chance, and they took it to six with, like, five of the games going overtime, I think, or being within a goal. Yeah. 2018, I would say they were, it was probably 60 40, and they took Boston to seven after losing their 2C in Cadre. Oh, and then I forgot about that. And then the following year, they also lost Cadre, and it was like Thomas Placanic playing against top lineups, and they still took Boston to seven. Yeah. And now, yeah, I just, the Leafs like discourse is the most infuriating in the league at this point. It's by it's, a lot. Yeah, like I genuinely don't know how you can do it. Like I would be so sick of it. And yeah, and um, then it's like, oh, well, they get goalie. Like everything that gets brought up about them seems to be wrong in both directions. Because like, yeah, there's there there are people who defend them no matter what. It's like 
like that Carolina effort, that was not fine. But also like the Leafs aren't a unicorn. Like the laws of the universe don't stop applying to the Leafs because you're mad that they lost to Montreal last year. Yeah. It just, oh, oh I just, it's crazy, honestly. Like just all yeah. the narratives that go around, just like, they get goalied uh, more than any other team in the league, despite the fact that they're fourth in the league in shooting percentage in like the past five years. Yeah, like they get. I looked into this for a little little blog post I wrote. They get goalied roughly as often as Pittsburgh, uh, Vegas, Colorado themselves, and Boston. Like, how many teams in that tier do you think have fund are fundamentally broken? And what like is it just one of them? And why is it just the one of them? Yeah, it's about, at least in the regular season, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Because all this, the playoffs, like, um, I still don't believe again that the laws of the universe stop mattering just because it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. But like, it has been five years. If you want to talk about the playoffs, I'm willing to give that to you at this point. It's not worth arguing about. But like, we're not really we're not talking about the playoffs right now. No, and like I don't know, like I get it. There's. I don't know. Even the playoff argument to me, I feel like it's just so overrated sometimes. Like, obviously you can't make too many excuses because every team goes through stuff, but like they lost Tavares in the first shift or first game of last year. Yeah. And then Jake, and the big one for me has been Jake Muzzin going down in back-to-back years. Yeah. It's been very clear when he goes down, that top four cannot Stay steady. No, he is. He's the most important defenseman in that top four, which is the one legitimately scary thing because he has looked like shit this season. Yeah. Yes. He in has the not been of good. PDO, he has looked horrible. Yes. Um, I will say the other thing I, I found it funny too. I, I can't remember who actually tweeted this, but um, there's been obviously a lot of scoreboard watching on how Jared was one Jared McCann has done. And yep. He was, I believe, point per game after seven games. Yeah, um, I think so. I know he's at least after six. I mean, I'm just pulling this up. He has seven points in seven games with three goals and four assists. Now, this has been a shooting bender for him. Of he is at 39% expected goals at five on five and a minus, I think it was minus six goal differential at five on five. Just all shooting on the power play. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure they said he was like on for five and on against for 11 so far. That's hilarious. Yeah. Of course. Just a torture. Exactly. Uh, so it's just been some some good shooting percentage of five and five, but also the power play. Uh, he's racked up points. Obviously, you can't discredit the power play. Um, but yeah, it's like. Uh, it's definitely made a lot worse when people look at McCann, see him point per game, and just assume that he is just absolutely destroying the league and this is going to continue, right? But yeah, but I, I don't know. Like at the same time, Toronto could absolutely use a Jared McCann on their second power play instead of like pure Engvall. Oh, yeah, he'd still help for sure instead of Kerfoot, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or Hall. I even, can't you get know. over that. De- yeah, or Hall. I still can't get over that decision. But on the bright side, um, going into last year, Nick Ehlers was a guy who had like ridiculous underlying numbers. And then last year was the year everybody was like, my God, this guy's put it all together. He's like a top 10 winger. This might be William Nylander's year to do that. He's definitely, um, it's weird how the narrative is flipped on him. Because um, he, oh, he was one of the few guys who came out hot yep he's been their best player even in the games matthews has played yep and maybe other than the first one matthews played yeah i couldn't believe he didn't score yeah matthews is pretty nuts off this the very what was it like 16 shots or something yeah it's 16 attempts and 10 actual shots i think yes some ridiculous but yeah um yeah no nylanders look great all year obviously at the game winner against uh chicago last night um yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what keeps going. It's just it's it's crazy that like yeah, there's not much yelling. Meanwhile, Tampa's three three and one. Like the Islanders are three two and one. Um, you know the Avalanche are two and four. Um, the Golden Knights are three and four. Now the Golden Knights are missing Stone and Pacioretty. This will be really interesting to see what they do because their big guys up front are hurt, and it doesn't look like they're coming back immediately either, which is scary. Yeah, that is tough for them. They're lucky that division is fucking horrible. 
very, very lucky because um, uh, we can get into their teams that are in the division. The Sharks are off to a hot start, but that is a very PDO bender thing. Um, yeah. Have you I seen was, the awesome stuff? Yeah, like, uh, well, I, I don't know. It depends on what you mean by stuff, I guess. Well, people have just randomly been like, Eric Carlson is back, despite the fact that he's getting filled in. This is exactly what made me go check the San Jose thing, because I wanted to go see if this actually was true, because Eric Carlson is about a point per game right now. He absolutely dummied the Montreal Canadiens, had a couple points against Ottawa as well. And I was was curious, because I had saw some people saying Carlson's back. Um, The Sharks are a 44% Corsi 4 team right now. Uh, which is 31st in the league out of 32 teams, obviously. Uh, and their expected goals percentage is 45.92, which puts them at 26th in the league. Um, I went to go check Eric Carlson because uh, this is, yeah, exactly what made me look is everyone's like, Eric Carlson's back. He's point per game. Like his points are off the charts and everything. Uh, he's getting filled in. The, the whole San Jose team is getting filled in in his defense. Um, but he is not the, the exception to the rule there at all. Uh, yeah. Their defense, if anyone is curious, Corsi 4 percentage. Mark Edward Vlasic, out of all players, leads at 46.96%. Radam Simic is 46.5%. Brent Burns, 44.8%. Mario Ferraro, 44.2%. Eric Carlson, 42.7%. And Jacob Middleton, 41.67%. Expected goals. Uh, Eric Carlson's third, 46.22. Flasic and Burns are for, uh, second and first at 48%. Um, 48.8 yeah. and 48.6. So the whole decor is getting filled in, but Eric Carlson is a part of that. I would not expect his just point per game streak to continue or anything like that. Absolutely not. And it's sad because, like, peak Eric Carlson was the type of guy to put up, like, positive results on a decor like that. Exactly. And like, I like, trust me, I want Carlson to be back. And I would even take him being just like a 65 point defenseman, even if he didn't drive play, but. Oh yeah. Still just be cool. Yeah. But this idea that he's back to like 2018 form or whatever, just does not stick right now. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in that division as well, the Oilers are off to a hot, hot start. Uh, man, Connor McDavid very well might hit 150 points. Yep. It looks like, uh, yeah, Connor McDavid, no one else even belongs in the conversation with him. And God, that is cool. Yeah, uh, it, it's really odd. Like, it's just, it's incredible. It's cool and, to have the hockey equivalent of whatever, like, Patrick Mahomes was in, like, 2018 now or in 2019 kind of thing. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of incredible no matter where you look. Uh, it's also what I want to kind of point out is Alex Ovechkin, the start he's on insane. Yeah. Always gunning for the record. He is going to get this record. I I was, I was worried he might slow down. He's already had eight goals, dude. He needs just, he he needs to now just score at about a 30 point a 30 goal pace for the rest of the year. And he will hit 50 goals. Thirty goal pace for the rest of the year. Maybe That's it's not quite that low, but I bet you is. I'm, I'm trying to find my calculator so I can do his math. Here it is. It sounds because he's got eight goals in six games. Six games, five right? Games. Five or six? Yeah. Let me check. Uh, I'm checking it right now. Seven games. So eight goals in seven games. Like, ah, man. So he needs. Uh, so he needs forty-two in 75 games. Oops, whoops. 22 to 75. Great podcast, I know. Um, so a 0.56 goal per game pace, which is about, I guess, a 40 goal pace. But okay. still, like... I hope you... I don't even, like, care about OV really one way or the other, but God, it would be cool to see that record break. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh... And this because it's like if he doesn't do it, no one's doing it. Yeah, yeah, it would just be cool to see one of those big records from the '80s fall. Yeah, exactly. This is the only one that looks like it's going to go down anytime soon. Yeah, exactly. And just like because it's even just like even if goal scoring comes up again, it's like you just need someone to have the health that he has as well because it's never going to hit the point where it was in the '80s. And that's what makes Ovechkin so special. Is this dude was like 
almost not going to start the game, uh, start the year. They weren't sure about him. Yeah. And then he comes out and he goes, no, 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 it's fine. I will. Uh, just uh, destroy like, the Yeah. I'll just put up four points in the first night and 13 points in seven games. Yeah. Like he's just. I think I know we started at McDavid, but McDavid, what McDavid was doing is crazy as well. Seven goals, eight assists, 15 points. Uh, points go McDavid 15, Ovechkin 13, Dry Settle 12 um, in six, seven, and six games played. Stamkos has 10 and seven. Kuznetsov has 10 and seven. Um, I haven't checked his underlying numbers or anything, but a Kuznetsov bounce back season would be massive for this Capitals team. Yeah, actually having two good centers would be big for them, especially if Kuznetsov can do something at five-on-five five for the first time in forever. In, and it's only 108 minutes on time on ice, but so far his numbers are really good at five-on-five five too. Like yeah. even defensively, he's been fine, good. That would be huge for that team because like as the rest of them have fallen off and they've really not replaced any of them with anything, like McMichael and Kuznetsov, randomly being great would be huge yes absolutely um so uh, i don't i we were we kind of got trapped uh, sidetracked from the pacific but um it's been interesting to see who started the year hot and um the only i don't know there's been a couple teams that are the plan everything is going according to plan in arizona here oh five and one just yeah, like you want to be right. yeah uh just like you want to be uh the blackhawks are oh five and two uh, they absolutely deserve that. I hope they don't win a game all year and get the third oh, overall pick because that would go to Columbus. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> that that's one thing people are really starting to tune in right now too is Blackhawks. The Blackhawks do not have their oh. uh, first rounder unless it's first or second. Oh, okay, because I was going to say I want them to be dead last and have to give up Shane Wright or whoever yeah, it is. No, it's, here, but. Yeah, it's lottery protected for the first yeah. two. But Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, oh yeah, and I, I forget who I was listening. Oh, it was the PDO cast from I think last week, uh, and they were talking about like they were just discussing how um, the Blackhawks front office was trying to say they're not actually done rebuilding or anything this year, and they're not sure why people would think that. It's like, well, you <laughs> traded your first round pick away. Yep. It's like, like. You can't say you're not rebuilding or you're still rebuilding and trade away the core piece in rebuilding. That's the most like hockey thing in the world. Just be like, no, don't worry. This is actually what we wanted. Yeah, literally, like someone's like, yeah, I'm not really sure why they thought we should have expectations, which would generally be true if you were looking at this from a statistical point of view. But as the GM who just traded your first round pick away, you cannot be saying that. Yeah. Also, name something more like cathartic than watching Seth Jones get filled in. Oh man, I, it is. I think it's almost getting to the point where it's like he might. I mean, like this year, he's just been atrocious too. But like, I, I could see it being a point where it's so bad on this team that he might get even a little underrated. Um, yeah. But right now, oh man, our stats people ever taking a victory lap, and rightfully so at the the way this has started. Oh, yeah, it was so meant to be because very few players get beat up on like big minute defensemen on bad teams. And that is Seth Jones this year. Yeah, exactly. And like Flurry, like Flurry has had like, I think he's got a 5.25 goals against average, like an 800 save percentage. Yeah, Flurry's getting killed, which does <laughs> not help the looks of anyone. No, and like I, I, I think Flurry will bounce back from that as well. But like, the, I just don't understand. Like, and again, like I'm trying not to take too much of a victory lap here, but. I, I just I could not understand why people just penciled in flurry to win a Vez or like be Vesna level flurry yeah. again this year when we didn't even see that in back to back years ever in Vegas. Yeah. Or in Pittsburgh when he yeah, was well, like a that's a three year old. <laughs> exactly, right? Like we've just like we've haven't seen him be we've seen him and especially when he revitalized his career in Vegas, we see him be a really, really good goalie, and then a goalie that they weren't even sure that they had to go trade for Robin Leonard for. Like yeah. and, yeah, and exactly. And part of that is like, yeah, if Robin Leonard's going to be cheap, why would you not take Robin Leonard for cheap, right? But then they went and signed him to a contract extension, even while Flurry, you know, and like it's just, and again, like it's just normal. The dude's what thirty-seven years old now, like, yeah, he's old. It's not like like Henrik Lundqvist was bad by this age, and Henrik Lundqvist a lot better than Flurry ever was. 
yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised by how bad they're starting. Um, yeah, given like all the off ice stuff. Fucked by 37. Like, yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's a very few handful of goalies who are actually good in their late there and good, like routinely too. Cause even like Mike Smith has been unreal. Like, like he was unreal last year. He was not, he was horrible for the previous two or three years. Yep. Yeah. So, he's kind of settled into that, like one off, one on. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I'm not surprised with all the off ice stuff that's going on. Um, but uh, even just the on ice roster, I don't think they were ever that talented. Were they 05 and two, like bottom three team in the league talented? I didn't think it was going to be that aggressive, but um, I don't know. Like people definitely, they seem to be a bit of a dark horse playoff pick entering the year. And that uh, from definitely non stats people. Uh, and that was always just crazy to me. Yeah, and it's it's so great given all the shitty people who built this team, just watching them burn. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think that's about it for this week. Uh, we touched on, obviously, very big topic and a couple small ones. So uh, we'll see what uh, next week brings us. Um, as always, you can find my stuff at lastwordonhockey.com. You can find Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, and he even wrote some stuff. And I think you're getting in some football stuff, if I saw correctly, Chase. Yeah, the Leafs are fucking infuriating me, so I'm doing some football stuff for a while. Yeah, so uh, if that's up your alley, you can go check that out. You can uh, find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and my other podcast, The Last Word on Sends podcast, wherever you listen to this. I don't have one out this week, but I'm going to try and get a guest in the next couple days and get one published. So keep an eye out for that as well. Um, Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. I hope you all have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. 